Hi, my name is Jackie and welcome to After the Last Page, a show where I read books of all genres, some trending and some not, and I'll give you my unbiased reviews. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of After the Last Page. My name is Jackie and this week I'll be reviewing Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Now, this book is a debut novel, and it's rather large at 400 pages. It was released just this April, and it's actually rated 4.43 stars on Goodreads, which is relatively high. This book is considered contemporary fiction or historical fiction, and the protagonist is a scientist. There are elements of feminism in this book, and it takes place in the 1950s and 1960s. Now, if you're interested in learning more, keep listening for today's synopsis. Reviewed by The Guardian, The New York Times, and The Washington Post, Lessons in Chemistry is certainly a book that has gained speed quickly. Set in California in the 1960s, Lessons in Chemistry is the story of Elizabeth Zott. Zott is a female scientist on an all-male research team in a time where women were more often housewives than chemists. Zott is working on an important project when she meets Calvin Evans, an infamous scientist also working for the same research company. While the two seem like an unlikely pair, their time together is much more than romantic chemistry. That is, until Evans suffers from a tragic accident. Left alone with a dog and an unborn child, Elizabeth has to learn to handle motherhood as an unwed mother. Struggling with inequality, the difficulties of her field, and her role to her child, Zot finds herself reluctantly leaving the research facility and starting a cooking show with a fellow parent. Her unusual approach to cooking proves revolutionary and gains her large following. Yet, as her following grows, so does the implication that women don't just belong in the kitchen. Compared to Where'd You Go, Bernadette and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Lessons in Chemistry is described as witty, laugh-out-loud funny, and a must-read debut. Now it's time for today's reading, starting with Chapter 1, November 1961. Back in 1961, when women wore shirtwaist dresses and joined garden clubs and drove legions of children around in seatbeltless cars without giving it a second thought, back before anyone knew there'd even be a 60s movement, much less one that its participants would spend the next 60 years chronicling. Back when the big wars were over and the secret wars had just begun and people were starting to think fresh and believe everything was possible, the 30-year-old mother of Madeline Zott rose before dawn every morning and felt certain of just one thing. Her life was over. Despite that certainty, she'd made her way to the lab to pack her daughter's lunch. Fuel for learning, Elizabeth Zott wrote on a small slip of paper before tucking it into her daughter's lunchbox. Then she paused, her pencil in midair as if reconsidering. Play sports at recess, but do not automatically let the boys win, she wrote on another slip. Then she paused again, tapping her pencil against the table. It is not your imagination, she wrote on a third. Most people are awful. She placed the last two on top. Most young children can't read, and if they can, it's mostly words like dog and go. But Madeline had been reading since age three, and now at age five was already through most of Dickens. 
Madeline was that child, the kind who could hum a Bach concerto but couldn't tie her own shoes, who could explain the Earth's rotation but stumbled a tic-tac-toe. And that was the problem, because while musical prodigies are always celebrated, early readers aren't. And that's because early readers are only good at something others will eventually be good at too. So being first isn't special, it's just annoying. Madeline understood this. That's why she made it a point each morning after her mother had left and while her babysitter and neighbor Harriet was busy to extract the notes from the lunchbox, read them, and then store them with all the other notes that she kept in a shoebox in the back of her closet. Once at school, she pretended to be like all the other kids, basically illiterate. To Madeline, fitting in mattered more than anything, and her proof was irrefutable. Her mother had never fit in, and look what happened to her. It was there in the Southern Californian town of Commons, where the weather was mostly warm, but not too warm, and the sky was mostly blue, but not too blue, and the air was clean because air just was back then, that she lie in her bed, eyes closed, and waited. Soon she'd know there'd be a gentle kiss on her forehead, a careful tuck of covers about her shoulders, a murmuring of seize the day in her ear. In another minute, she'd hear the start of a car engine, a crunch of tires as the Plymouth backed down the drive, a clunky shift from reverse to first. And then her permanently depressed mother would set off for the television studio, where she would don an apron and walk out onto the set. The show was called Supper at Six, and Elizabeth Zott was its indisputable star. So you guys know that I pride myself on this podcast being as honest as possible. So I review these books and I give them what I feel is my best rating for what they are. Now, going into this book and this review, I'm going to be honest and say that this one is going to be one of the more brutal ones. And I rated this book at two out of five stars. So let me start this off by saying how widely well-received Lessons in Chemistry is. I picked through quite a lot of reviews after finishing this novel, and it consistently rates high among readers. On Goodreads, it's rated steadily at four and a half stars. Amazon reviews are similar, and less than 7% of 9,000 reviewers rated it one to three stars. But I'm supposing I'm going to be in the seventh percent here. I picked up this book because I've been attempting to read more debut novels this year. While scientific protagonists aren't my usual go-to, I love a good romance, and I thoroughly enjoy the love hypothesis, the soulmate equation, and even the kiss quotient. All three of these novels are light, easy romances that contain female protagonists in the STEM field. Going into this novel, I expected to find the same type of story. After all, it's described as witty, funny, romantic, right? But Lessons in Chemistry was far from what I was expecting. Now, I would agree that the tone and writing style of Barney Garmus is very similar to that of Maria Semple's Where'd You Go, Bernadette? But the similarities end there, for me at least. While described as witty and laugh out loud funny, I didn't find this book to be either. In fact, it was quite tragic what the protagonist went through. 
Very early on in the story, readers are introduced to Zahat's unfortunate introduction into the scientific community. She is raped by a superior, and because of this, she's forced into relinquishing her hopes of a PhD and leaving her school's program. When she is hired by Hastings Research Institute, the research company, she again is tested with highly inappropriate levels of gender gender inequality, especially from her bosses. While I'm not saying that gender inequality wasn't prevalent in the late 1950s or early 1960s, because it was, my research indicates that gender roles had begun to change in the late 1940s when women began to complete men's jobs during World War II. Now, second wave feminism seems to have started sometime in the 1960s, which is likely the time that Garmis is trying to target. While I wasn't able to find much about female scientists in particular, especially in the 1950s and 60s, I did find a very interesting article from Smithsonian Magazine about a woman named Margaret Rossiter, a woman that worked in STEM during that time and related her experiences. She has since devoted her life to the women that have been written out of scientific history. And I did find her account to be very interesting, and it did somewhat align with this book. While part of Zot's story follows Rossiter's findings, uh, much of it remains unspoken for. So upon reading comments on other reviews, I discovered that many female scientists from the time read this book, and they didn't feel that they were treated the same way as Zot was. So there's actually one reviewer on Goodreads, and her name is Elise, I believe Elise Walters. Um, So I'm actually going to read you her review and what she said here. And basically, to sum it up, she had mentioned that she worked in a research facility, and she didn't experience these things. So word for word, here she says... In my own life in California during the 50s and 60s, I was a kinesiology, I'm sorry, I'm terrible at pronouncing that word, but she was at UC Berkeley. I never felt like I was in a man's world. My organic chemistry classes were grueling, but that wasn't because I was a woman. In my experience, I never had a problem. I wasn't sexually harassed. So I found that to be quite interesting, and I actually saw a couple of comments on Goodreads that came across the same way. So, I think that's really something interesting to analyze as far as this novel goes. Now, something else I found very frustrating about this novel, in general, was the stereotyping between religion, politics, men. Everyone around Elizabeth is stereotyped in some way or another, and she is as well. First of all, Calvin Evans, the man who is devoted to his work, he's extremely left brain. he thinks of everything as logically as possible, and he's a rower and an Ivy League graduate with a perfect record. Then we have Harriet, the woman next door, who is in an unhappy marriage where her husband abuses her. She has several kids of her own, apparently none of them talk to her now that they're all grown up, and she fits the housewife perspective that Zot so badly wants to break. 
And of course, we can't forget about Walter Pine, the TV show producer that wants Elizabeth glammed up and in dresses to satiate his boss, but also has dealt with her quote-unquote masculinity firsthand. Every character has a role to play, but yet none of them really do anything, which I find infuriating. Harriet continually puts up with her husband's abuse, Calvin leaves the house to Elizabeth after his accident, and he has all intentions of convincing her to marry him even though she doesn't want to, and even Walter is reluctant to stand up to his boss. These ends are all conveniently tied in a nice little bow at the end of this book, thanks to Elizabeth, of course. And don't even get me started on Elizabeth's daughter, Madeline, who somehow miraculously can walk herself to the library, research, and have a whole conversation with a stranger at five years old. Tell me how that's realistic. Has this author not ever met a five-year-old? I mean, that's not even close to realistic. Yet all these character analyses beg the question, why is Elizabeth the way that she is? Is it because of the rape? the injustice, the gender inequalities. If women supposedly went through all this during the time in the 50s and 60s, then why aren't all the women stepping out to break boundaries? Elizabeth is a character from 2022 trying to implement social causes that haven't happened yet. To me, it comes across as if someone from 2022 created her character, which she did, rather than Elizabeth truly belonging in her timeline. The problem with this? She's unrealistically out of place, and this throws the entire plotline off. During this time, women would have been making more practice, thought-out moves to change society. Instead, Elizabeth just goes off the rails by calling out her superiors, quitting her job when she is rehired, and other actions that ultimately make life even more difficult for her than if she had been smart about her decisions in the first place. As a woman, this infuriates me. In fact, I found Miss Frask's character to be much more realistic of a 1950s female character breaking boundaries than Elizabeth's character. While Miss Frask starts off the story as an antagonist, we quickly learn how she became this way, especially as she makes further advances to help Elizabeth later on in the story. While I'm not going to put any spoilers in here about what she does, I think her character depth is much more significant in some ways than Elizabeth's. As far as calling this book funny, there were a few moments during the cooking show portion of the book that were unique, but I certainly didn't think of this book as a comedy at all. The advertising for Lessons in Chemistry reads as a rom-com, and the tone of the book just doesn't fit this description. The book does have important themes that highlight social issues of the time, but it's terribly sad. It might be one of the saddest books I've read this year, if ever. So I'm not sure why Garmus's PR team marketed this the way they did, as it's certainly misleading. That being said, had this book been depicted as historical fiction, retelling of social causes in STEM, I would have perhaps looked at it differently going into it, and maybe rated it differently overall. Yet the bright cover and the cute animated Elizabeth on the front would have readers thinking in yet a different direction. Now, in general, I didn't love Lessons in Chemistry. I thought Elizabeth was an unreliable protagonist, and she makes rash decisions that affect her own well-being throughout the timeline. 
In addition to this, there is so much male bashing and religion bashing in this book that I actually found myself frustrated with Elizabeth's constant negative perspective, especially for someone who insisted that she had so many far-reaching goals. The one aspect I absolutely did love about this book was the dog, 630. While his name is absolutely atrocious, my understanding is that the author's own personal dog is named 99, so perhaps it was her way of weaving her own life into Elizabeth's. It's definitely unique. Either way, 630 is the intelligent, logical character this book needed. He is selfless and loving in all the best ways, and he's truly what keeps Elizabeth and her daughter on track. I absolutely loved 630, and I think his perspective is a voice that many readers give their own dogs. Truly, I would have enjoyed the book entirely written from his perspective as I looked forward to the passages that he narrated. Overall, I don't think that Bonnie Garmus's book was for me. Lessons in Chemistry highlight some important social inequalities during the 1950s and 1960s, but there are a lot of inaccuracies reflected through the characters in this book, which makes me wonder how many of the events were realistic as well. If you're familiar with the timeline of this novel or have studied women in STEM, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the stories Elizabeth tells and the things that she goes through. Do you feel her character was realistic? Were her actions justified? Please leave a comment on the blog and let me know. If you're interested in purchasing this book for yourself and you haven't read it yet, you can check it out on Amazon by clicking on the link on our blog, afterthelastpage.com. Now, if you're not sure what to read next, check out my latest episode on Agatha of Little Neon, which I rated much higher than this book. And if you're interested in what I am reading next week, our schedule will be, double check here, The Lifestyle by Taylor Hahn. So if you guys haven't read that book, that one is also a new release, and it's actually about the swinger lifestyle, which is very interesting. So go ahead and join us next week and subscribe and like our podcast if you haven't already. If you're subscribed, it will give you notifications on when episodes like The Lifestyle come out. Now, I do typically release every Saturday, but the time changes depending on the week. So again, if you'd like to comment on your views on Lessons of Chemistry, if you've read the book, I would love to hear your thoughts. Go ahead and check out our post on afterthelastpage.com, or you can email me your thoughts as well if you don't want to comment. Thanks again for listening, and I can't wait to share my thoughts with you guys next week. Thanks for listening to After the Last Page. My name is Jackie, and this is the show where I read books, some trending, some not, and give you my unbiased review. If you liked this episode, go ahead and like and follow our podcast and our blog at afterthelastpage.com. See you next week.